I'm actually going to read, I know you think I'm going to read verse 6, but I'm not. <coughs> and uh, I'm not preaching on verse 6 today. I am going to back up to verse 1. I'm actually going to look today at just verses 1 and 2. Of course, verse 6 is a bit of a fulfillment of what is promised in verse 2, which is going to be our, our text verse. The Bible says in verse 1 of Isaiah 9, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. As when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Amen. I'm speaking these few weeks on the most wonderful time of the year, focusing and thinking about some of the things that we love at Christmas. <clears throat> Last week we talked about some of the music and particularly looked at one of the, 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 the Christmas hymns in the Bible, Mary's Song. And today I want to uh, draw your attention to another uh, part of Christmas that most of us love and, and appreciate, and that's the lights. And lights have uh, quite a history as it relates to Christmas. Obviously, we're in an auditorium today that's decorated uh, with Christmas lights. We uh, drive through our neighborhoods, and we uh, have Christmas lights everywhere. We all, uh, probably if you're from around here, you probably have enjoyed at least once, maybe more than once, maybe it's an annual thing for you. St. Augustine and the Knights of Lights. In fact, I took my family down there this past week just for the first time. We all piled in. It was just me and Angie and the kids, and we piled in. I think it was on Monday night after school. We drove down to St. Augustine, and uh, just watching our kids absorb this whole thing was quite, quite a sight. It really is beautiful. If you've, if you've never been there, I, I'd recommend going there. It's, 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 it's available from now, I think, through maybe even the end of January. And uh, the whole entire historic district of St. Augustine is lit up. The main square just outside the Catholic Church is particularly beautiful. The, 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 the front edge of the, the water right there by the uh, Bridge of Lions, uh, right where the Hilton Hotel is, is another really, really nice spot. Uh, if you want to be like really Christmassy, you can jump on one of the trolleys and sing Christmas carols as you uh, ride around, of course. Uh, and and, and it's, it really is a, a really festive uh, a time of year there. Uh, in 2011 and 2012, it was chosen by National Geographic as one of the 10 most dazzling holiday light displays in the world. This year was the 29th annual Nights of Lights, and down on the, the square there, that, the, the middle area of St. Augustine, there are 3 million lights adorning nearly every corner of the historic district of St. Augustine for two months. And the history of Knights of Lights goes way back uh, to Spanish culture. And as most of you know, it was uh, 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 St. Augustine, of course, is the oldest city in, uh, in America. It, is, it was founded and has its history rooted in Spain. And, and it is said that in Spanish tradition, particularly, they would have lights in their windows as a representation of a welcoming of Jesus into their homes when Jesus was not welcomed at the first Christmas. So the idea of lights in the home were to demonstrate to, to the world that this home is open 
for Jesus when the first home wasn't when he was born. But be that as it may, there are always traditions with Christmas. And sometimes different people for different reasons do different things at Christmas. And Christmas lights have been a rooted part of uh, American culture and certainly even around the world for years and years and years. And actually, biblically, it goes really all the way back to the first Christmas where at the first Christmas there were at least two significant lights involved in the original Christmas story. For instance, in Luke chapter number 2, verse 8, it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, that must have been quite a light display, huh? Matthew chapter 2 says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And so we learn that at the first Christmas or surrounding the first Christmas story, there were at least two significant displays of lights. There was the glory of God itself shining on the shepherds in the field. There was then the star leading the wise men to the place where Jesus was born. And so lights were certainly there. Uh, at the first Christmas. And, and we come to Isaiah chapter number 9, and we see that lights were actually promised at Christmas. Not necessarily the physical lights that we just heard about, but certainly the light of the gospel coming in the person of Jesus Christ. Now let me give you just a brief historical setting of Isaiah's letter or message here because Isaiah would probably be one of the more unfamiliar prophets to many of you. I would should say this, the prophets are pretty unfamiliar to all of us. Now anytime you want to understand a prophet, one of the Old Testament prophets from Isaiah to Malachi, all you need to do is typically look at the first verse in the first chapter of the book. And usually in the first verse of the first chapter of the book, it will tell you something about this particular message. So in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. The historical setting of this first part of Isaiah takes place uh, in the Bible account, basically in 2 Kings chapters 14 and 15. A contemporary of Isaiah would be Jonah. Now, what happens in Isaiah is Isaiah's message was directed to Judah and Jerusalem. Now, at this time, Israel was divided into two parts. Remember, David had a unified kingdom. He was the king for 40 years. After David, then Solomon ruled in peace for another 40 years. And then Solomon's sons divided the kingdom into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Unfortunately for Israel in the north, they never enjoyed a godly king, never had a spiritual revival, and therefore their demise occurred quicker than Judah. So Isaiah's message was to Judah in the south and to the city of Jerusalem in particular. Now this particular message in chapter number 9 is during the time of Ahaz, the king of Judah. And here's what's taken place. Basically in the north... Israel. Israel has been overtaken by Assyria. Now now remember, later on, Judah is also going to be overtaken by Babylon. And this is what God said was going to happen. The more that God's people would rebel against him, ultimately, they would be overtaken by enemies. 
One enemy was the Assyrians. They attacked Judah first. I mean, sorry, Israel first. And because Judah had experienced some revival under people like Josiah and Hezekiah, they were prolonged against the judgment that was going to come against them. So, Israel in the north has already been conquered and judged by Assyria. Now, Judah in the south is faced with a choice under King Ahaz. The king of Israel and the king of Assyria try to form an alliance with the king of Judah to get them to work together to fight against a collective enemy. And Ahaz, at this point, is going along with this process. Unfortunately, he is willing to link arms with an ungodly nation, uh, Israel, and an ungodly nation, Assyria. And basically, one of the strongest messages toward Isaiah, toward Ahaz, is this. You don't need to do that because God himself will deliver you. And so you come into chapter 7, all the way through chapter 12 of Isaiah, and you've got what we would call the Messianic Prophecy. It is a, a big section of Isaiah that makes lots of promises about Jesus being the ultimate deliverer of Judah. And so thank God that even when we are failing, even when we are making poor choices, as Ahaz was, aren't you glad that the promises of the Redeemer and the promises of salvation are always good, they're always yea in Christ? Because Christ comes to those who absolutely need him. And so in Isaiah chapter number 9, of course verse 6, you all know verse 6. Verse 6 is a promise, a Christmas promise. But really the whole chapter, chapter number 9, is a promise about the Messiah. And so in verse 1 and 2 he says that Messiah is going to come like a light sprung into darkness. How about that? The first promise of Christmas lights is Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse number 2. And here we find that God tells us that although the land of verse 1, Nebulun, or excuse me, Zebulun and Naphtali have been plundered, they have been assaulted, they have been overtaken, he says God is going to send a light in that dark place. Now, let me stop here. Zebulun and Naphtali obviously are two of the 12 tribes of Israel. Particularly, they are those who settled in the land north of the Sea of Galilee in the area where the Jordan River runs into the Sea of Galilee on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. It's one of the most fertile areas of Israel, a natural place for an enemy to plunder. And so here's what he's saying. Because they were in the north and because Zebulun and Naphtali particularly were in the northern tribes of the north, they were the first ones to get hit by Assyria. And here's what God says, yes, they were plundered, yes, they were decimated, but in that place of darkness, a light will shine. Now you say, preacher, how do you know that this is about Jesus? Great question. Well, because in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 13, listen to this. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, watch this, which is by the sea, listen, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. Where did Jesus make his home base in Capernaum? Where was Capernaum? On the northern edge, y'all ain't even hear me, on the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. Where did Jesus... Where did Jesus make his home base? Right in the place 
that was plundered by the Assyrians hundreds of years ago. They took it over and guess what? Jesus took it back. In fact, the next verse says this, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, and then he quotes what? Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 and 2. And so what is this? This is a promise that Jesus is going to come. He is going to settle into Galilee and the light of the gospel is going to start shining from Galilee to a world that desperately needs it. And so, as we see this tied into Jesus most naturally, let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 today and let's take a look at this first Christmas light. First of all, we see most definitely the need for a light. The need for a light. Notice again verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Now folks, there's two uh, compelling descriptions of people who are without God. Listen very carefully. If you are without God in this place, I'm here to tell you there are two really clear descriptions of what it looks like to be without God. One, you are in darkness. And two, you live in the land of the shadow of death. Hear me. These are two places you don't want to be living. The land of darkness is a clear picture of what man without God is like. In fact, in the Bible, uh, darkness is described as an extraordinary picture of evil, corruption, calamity, spiritual darkness, and spiritual blindness. For instance, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of Christ in the glory of God. John chapter 12, verse 40, Satan has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, uh, it says, God is light, watch it, in him is no darkness at all. Acts chapter 26, verse 18, he will turn them from darkness to light. It is a place of lostness, it is a place of calamity, it is a place of blindness, it is a place of evil, it is a place where every person without Christ sits right here today. Darkness. Boy, that's a really good way to describe our culture, isn't it? A place of darkness. It just goes to show you what happens to men ultimately whenever they turn their hearts, their lives, and their minds away from God and away from the gospel. It goes into a dark place. And by the way, it may not be so clearly morally dark. In other words, you can be moral and still be lost. Uh, you can be a, a fairly decent person and still be spiritually blinded and in absolute darkness. But then he says this more pointedly, not only is it a land of darkness, it's a land uh, under the shadow of death. And that is not the only place where the shadow of death is spoken of in the Bible. Of course, it's spoken of in Psalm 23 and verse number 6. Or the story of Donald Barnhouse, the great uh, Presbyterian pastor and theologian of, of last century. He unfortunately had to bury his, uh, the wife of his youth and she died uh, prematurely. And his, his children were with him going to the funeral. Of course, his young children were broken hearted, getting ready to bury their mother. 
and he had just spoken about the shadow of death and his children were grappling and tried to understand what all this meant. And so as they were driving along to go to the burial, there was a large truck that drove by on the opposite side of the two-lane highway. And, and you've probably been in one of those situations when a big truck drives by on a two-lane highway. I mean, it just basically shakes you as you drive by. And as, as, as Barnhouse was trying to, trying to explain to his kids what happened uh, to, to, his, to, to their mother and what is this shadow of death, what does all this mean, uh, that, that truck drove by and shook the car and, and Barnhouse looked at his kids and said, let me ask you guys, would you rather get hit by the truck or its shadow? In Christ... Death is just a shadow. Outside of Christ, you're going to live under the burden and the reality of death and its full weight. All of sin that comes short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death. And those that are under the shadow of death, those that are outside of the gospel, those that are living in darkness, absolutely need some light. Let me ask you a question. Do you need some light this Christmas? You know, de- December 21st as I, I, is the longest day of the year on the Northern Hemisphere. Now, this is interesting. So, it's three days from now. It's on Wednesday. The longest night of the year, therefore the shortest day, daylight in the year. Isn't it interesting that we celebrate Christmas during the very darkest season of the year? Because there is light in Christ and through the gospel. You realize in certain places, uh, particularly like Canada or, or Alaska, when seasons are very, very long and dark, and just like in Alaska where they can have days of only maybe four hours of, uh, of, of dark at night in the summer, and we were there during one of those times. It was the most bizarre thing in the world. It was 10 o'clock at night, and it looked like dusk, and there was still daylight, and people stay up, and they'll end up staying up all night and stuff, but then, but then the winter, it all flips. In the winter, it flips. There's only four hours of daylight on some of the roughest times. Can you imagine living there? No, we live in Florida. Why would you want to live there? There's a clinical name for this problem that people go through. They, they go through mood swings and depression, and, 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 and suicides are higher. They have now labeled this as SAD, SAD. Seasonal Affective Disorder, SAD. And the only cure for people suffering from SAD is light. And for I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ is the answer for whatever you're facing, whatever is the question, certainly for the forgiveness of your sin, we all need the light. Number two, number two, I want you to see the sending of the light. Look at verse two again. It says here, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt under the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. So obviously, in this dark moment, a light was sent. A little boy was uh, up in the front of his church doing their little Christmas play. And he had like one line in the whole drama. He's supposed to quote Jesus, I am the light of the world. And he stands there, he's in the front. His mom is on the front row also because 
he is prone to forget these things. And so he stands there. When, when, when the lion gets to him, he freezes in fear. He looks at his mother. His mother is mouthing the words, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And he, he's just stuck. He's staring at her. He's not saying anything. And finally, it all registers with him. And he looks up at the crowd and says, my mother is the light of the world. You, you may have a great mother and a great family, but I assure you, she is not the light of the world. There is one, there is only one hope of Christmas. There is only one light of the world, Jesus. John 1 and verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in darkness, and the dark, darkness did not comprehend it. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. John 12, 46, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in darkness. 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse 10, but now Christ has been revealed or now has been revealed by the appearing of our savior Jesus Christ. Let's this who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And then perhaps my favorite verse about this is Colossians chapter 1 verse 12. Listen to this. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us. From the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now friend, I don't know anything that is better news for me to share with you at Christmas this year. Than you have no ability to qualify yourself to be a child of God. Someone has to make you qualified. I mean folks, we're all familiar with qualifications, right? I mean, they're everywhere around us. You have, to, you have to be 16 years old to get a driver's license after having a, a permit and driven for that for a year. And I'm experiencing that right now, okay? And I'm thinking to myself, look, uh, th this whole thing could be delayed a lot longer than it is. Adriana jumped in the car yesterday and proclaimed, I want to drive home from this birthday party. And so, uh, guys, I put my life on the line yesterday. And let the kid drive from the Yarbrough's house to our house, which included a lengthy stretch on 295. Let's just say, let's just say that whether it was real or perceived, I almost died. I'm here. I have not yet let her drive with Angie in the car. And I do not believe that it's ever going to happen, okay? That, look, that, that, that you can, there are certain things you can't get around. You have to be in the military to be able to access the base with an ID card. It's just, you, otherwise, you're not qualified. Or you get in on behalf of somebody who is qualified that can get you there. Now, that's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is you can't get onto heaven's military base on your own, but on behalf of someone who's qualified to get you there, you can get in. Are y'all even hearing me today? What I'm telling you is that's the good news of Christmas. The good news of Christmas is you have no light. You're out. You're out of bounds, unqualified. 
But thank God, through the person of Jesus Christ, God came to us. And God, through the gospel, through the cross, through the death, through the burial, through the resurrection, made us, equipped us, qualified us to be able to go into heaven, not on our own, but through him. He sent the light to us to deliver us. And finally, what you see in this text is the blessings of that light. The blessings of that light. What came with the light? Well, look if you will, verse 3, we see first of all, there is great joy. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoiced before you according to the joy of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Two pictures there. Both clearly presented to us in the Bible. The picture, first of all, of victory in battle. That's what, that's what d- d- dividing the spoils was all about. Look at what we got when our enemy was conquered. And then, of course, the joy and celebration of harvest. The celebration, particularly in Israel, of, of God providing a crop. And the celebration and the giving and the, <clears throat> all the, the party atmosphere that took place. What's basically God saying? God is saying people that sat, sit in darkness have no joy. But people who sit in light have reason to rejoice. And what I'm telling you, church, is that this season may be filled with sorrow, may be filled with loss, may be filled with loneliness, may be filled with disappointment. But I'm telling you, because of Jesus, you can actually have joy. Because it is relational, it is permanent, and it does not change because God does not change. That's why Paul can say to us, rejoice in the Lord, what? And again I say, double down on it, say, rejoice. You can rejoice because rejoicing is a choice. Happiness relates to happenings. Joy results from my relationship with Christ that no one can take away. You can have a lot of loss this year. You can lose job. You can lose finance. You might not have as many presents under the tree as you think you should. You, you may not be in a, the kind of status that maybe other people have. But listen, there's a lot of things that can be taken away from you. But one thing you have to give up is your joy. I read the story this week of Richard Williams, who was a young surgeon, Methodist lay preacher who joined another man named Alan Gardner in 1851 to become a missionary. Their ship was forced to winter in a cold and bitter bay. And unfortunately, because of the winter, their supply vessel never arrived. So they literally starved and froze to death. And all that was remaining besides their bodies was their journals. And on the last couple of weeks of this man's life, he wrote, I quote, on April 18th, 1851, Poor and weak though we are, our abode is a very Bethel to our souls. And God, we feel and know, is here. Two weeks later, last journal entry. Two weeks later, after starving and freezing to death through a winter, he says, I quote, should anything prevent me from ever adding to to this, meaning his journal, let all my beloved ones at home rest assured that I was happy beyond description when I wrote these lines and I would not have changed situations with any living man. Joy. 
The joy of the Lord is your strength. 1 Peter chapter 1, though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy, in, come on, inexpressible and full of glory. How can you have that joy? I've got Jesus, that's how. Joy. And then watch this. Not only is there great joy, there's great peace. Verse 4. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. As in the day of Midian. Now, let me stop there and say, what is he talking about? He's saying, when the Messiah comes, all of those who have ruled over you, he's going to break all that. That's the description. When he's talking about breaking the rod, break, he's talking about breaking that of the oppressor. And then I love this, as in the day of Midian. Now, that is a clear reference to the story of Gideon in the book of Judges. And just like God delivered Israel on the back of the judge Gideon. And you remember how that happened. That was pretty extraordinary, wasn't it? With just 300 soldiers and not a sword or a spear, just the word of the Lord. As in the day of Midian, our God will rise up with nothing more than his word. And he will wreck and destroy and break apart everybody who oppressed and everybody who decimated God's people, bringing peace. And watch verse 5, I love this. For every warrior's sandal... This is one of my favorite, this is one of my new favorite verses in the whole Bible. Just watch this with me. Every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. Y'all ain't catching it yet, are you? These garments I use for battle, I'm not going to need them anymore. I'm going to roll up this bloody shirt. Come on. I'm going to roll up this war garment. I'm not going to need to fight anymore because one's come in and fought for me. How is this even going to happen? Well, that leads us to what? The very next verse. The verse you're all hoping I would get to. How are we going to have the joy? How are we going to have the peace? How is this all going to happen? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon. Hey, listen. If he's got the government of the governments on his shoulders, I think he can probably shoulder your problem this Christmas. His name. How is he going to do this? His name is going to be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's what Jesus brought, isn't it? Isn't this what happened when the shepherds heard that angelic host sing after their announcement, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. It was a dark night in the winter of 1864. The setting of this long Civil War battle was Petersburg, Virginia. The Confederate Army of Robert E. Lee faced the Union divisions of General Grant. The war is now three and a half years old. It's been a long time since the glory of the battle raid, and now it's given way to the muck and mud of trench warfare. It's long, it's cold, it's old. That evening, one of General Lee's generals, Major General George Pickett, 
received word that his wife had given birth to a beautiful baby boy. Up and down the line, the Confederate armies outside their tents began to build huge bonfires in celebration of the event. Seeing the lights, the other side got nervous and sent out a reconnaissance patrol to see what was going on. The scouts returned with the message that Pickett had a son, and these were celebratory fires. It just so happened that General Grant and General Pickett had been contemporaries at West Point. And they knew one another well. To honor the occasion, General Grant ordered that bonfires be built on the northern front as well. And so for one night, While lights burned, no shots fired, as long as there was light, there was peace, celebrating the birth of a child. Unfortunately, that did not last forever. Cannons would burst, soldiers would die, shots would fire, lives lost. But friend, I'm here to tell you today, we're celebrating the birth of one to whom the light always shines and there is always peace in fact for us as believers that light will shine on forever you realize in the last chapter of the bible in that grand description of where you and i get to live forever as christians one of the great things it says about that place is this listen there shall be no night there they need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And we are people of the light, and we celebrate that light, and thank God the light has come at Christmas. Let's pray together if we could. As we bow before the Lord this morning, I want to ask you if you've ever accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, do you have the light of the world in your life? You may be financially stable, you may be moral, but if you do not have Jesus as your Savior, listen, you're in darkness. You live under the threat of death's reality the only way out of that predicament is to let the light of the gospel in your life you need to open up your heart like the front door of your house and welcome Jesus to be your savior if you've never welcomed Jesus to be your savior I want to invite you there in your seat today right here right now where you are to welcome the Lord Jesus Christ into your life every Sunday is an opportunity for you to accept Christ here at River City Baptist Church. And right there in your seat, you can humbly accept Him. The Bible says whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise, friend. I believe it like I believe every other word of the Bible. If I accept Jesus in my life as my Savior, He promises me that I have eternal life with Him in heaven. So today, right there in your seat, you can just humbly accept Him by praying. You say, man, I've never prayed or talked to God. That's okay. I'll help you. This prayer won't save you, and certainly I 
cannot save you, but Jesus can and Jesus will. So right there in your seat, you can just simply say something like this. You can just pray it after me even. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I do not deserve to go to heaven. But I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose from the dead for me. Today I accept him as my only Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me never to be ashamed of you. As you're bowed before the Lord, let me ask you this question. I wonder if there's anybody in this room and say, Preacher, man, I'm glad I came today to hear about the light. I just want you to know, Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I'm so glad that I did. Preacher, I just want you to know, I prayed that prayer. I'm in it, and I'm so glad that I did. If that's you, could I celebrate with you? Would you just let me know who you are by just lifting up your hand? Would you do that? God bless you. Who else? Just lift your hand up. Good. God bless you, buddy. Who else? Lift your hand right up. That's me, preacher. I prayed that prayer a minute. I'm glad that I did. Preacher, I just want you to celebrate with me. That decision was mine, and I needed to make it. God bless you, man. That's great. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. What a blessing. Week in and week out as a church to be able to share the gospel. Church, I should remind you that we are the light of the world. And a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. My goodness, if we do anything this Christmas, let's at least let our light shine. Not just on our porch, but also in our witness and our care and concern for others.